This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From baseball's top personalities. The Hall of Famer, one of the great TV broadcasters, Bob Costas is here on A's Cast Live. To the A's legendary players. Five-time Major League Baseball home run champ, Mark McGuire is with us here. You never know what stories you're going to hear. We used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. <laughs> you would say. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. We've got Mark Gubaza, longtime MLB pitcher and now TV analyst for the Angels. Robert Murray, this guy does nothing but break stories. MLB insider for Fansided and Sarah Langs from MLB.com and MLB Network. But we start with the former world champion and all-star for the Kansas City Royals turn TV extraordinaire, Mark Gubazaw, and we hear how he got the nickname Cabana Boy. Well, whenever the Angels come to town, we got to have the World Series champion and the all-star Mark Gubazaw join us here. Of course, does TV for the Angels, and congratulations, a new grandpa twins. Yeah, Chris, first time grandpa twins. I, you know, I don't mess around as usual. I'm always a pitcher of two for the price of one. You know, ground ball, double play, I go with twins right away. By the way, I see Stephen Vogt over there. I can see myself going, I believe in Stephen Vogt. I believe in Stephen Vogt. I love it. I t- yeah. I, so what is it like now being a grandpa? You know what? It, it's so much fun. Uh, it's just, now they're getting to the point now they're, a little, they're almost two months old. And when you walk in there to kind of recognize somebody, you know, yeah. they've seen a, a familiar <laughs> face. My, my wife was down there with them today, as a matter of fact, and they had the biggest smile and they were moving around. So they recognize her being around there all the time. So it's it's so cool. It's so cool to see them. They're growing, and, you know, each day. And you almost forget when you're there every day. It's a little different when it's your own child. But as a grandparent going in there, you see them every two, three days. I'm like, wow, they're growing quickly. Yeah, it's it's uh, congratulations. It's an amazing feeling, and um, for you, it's going to be a very uh, let's say busy off season. You're going to do a lot of babysitting. Yeah, well, I can't wait for doing that. I, you know, I can't wait for you know all the holidays. I'll be going crazy. I'm already trying to figure out a way to be able to sneak in and buy my you know a couple of Halloween outfits for him. But I'm sure I'm not going to get the final say in that one. Then going to Disneyland for Christmas time and stuff. I can't wait for all that stuff. Yeah, us in baseball, our time is the fall, is the winter. That's when we can yep. do a lot of stuff. People don't realize, you know, it's, it's always like, hey, we're going to Tahoe. You want to? No, nah, I can't go. <laughs> hey, we're doing a golf trip. To- yeah, I can't go. Yeah, no, and I believe me, I've heard that now since 1981 or so. Like, we never have any summers. I'm like, that's okay. We have five or six months off period. Not many people could say they have that. So, you know, you enjoy the winter, enjoy the fall, but uh, – I love baseball, so it's fun during the summer. You know, one thing that it's tough, like you look at the A's, we knew we were going to be bad, right? So this, you know, all the numbers that I have are not, all this stuff's not a shocker. I remember we were talking to you. I mean, we're like, hey, Otani, Trout in the playoffs, this could be, I mean, that's what this team was trending to at one point. 
and to where the Angels now are talking about could be one of the worst records, if not the worst record in, in Angels history. Just what has that been like from when we were talking about how good things were to where we are now? Yeah, I mean, when leaving town here last time, the Angels were 24-13. and 13. The talk of baseball, really, because you have Shohei yeah. Otani, Mention Trout, Anthony Rendon, who's back completely healthy. The pitching staff, you know, Noah Syndergaard and Michael Lorenzen were doing a great job, and Patrick Sandoval. I mean, this this and everything was going well. You had Reed Demers had thrown a no hitter early in the season, then boom. And, and I've been asked why. Part of it is is you know obviously having Anthony Rendon down with his wrist injury and, and Mike Trout being out, but still you, you didn't anticipate this. Uh, you know, there's, the starting pitching overall has been pretty solid. You know, and this the bottom of the lineup has struggled because guys are playing in different you know different roles and I think that's the reason why not enough offense they were the, at the beginning part of the season you look at their numbers top and on base percentage slugging percentage you know OPS scoring runs home runs running the bases effectively and then all of a sudden it just it just stopped I mean as much as you always think you always have a chance to win with pitching and that, they've been they've been in games because of that, a lot of them but uh, you need to score some runs especially when you play in the American League. Yeah, and you think about Joe Madden when he was getting the job and coming back, and it was kind of like linking to the Mike Sosha era when the team was so successful for so long. And Joe going to Tampa, then to Chicago, winning the World Series, you know, going to come back, kind of be the savior. And we always like the quotes and talking to him. He's such a good guy. Uh, are you just shocked the way it all turned out with Joe, man? I mean, it was it was his dream job. He's been in the organization with over 30 years, always wanted that opportunity to be the manager. And for him, to, when he first came aboard, it was obviously 2020 was a difficult season for everybody. And then 2021, still not quite, you know, the fans being there to, to build that kind of energy. He, he, he brings that. I mean, he's a perfect guy to get everything out of you as far as a player, but a lot of that revolves around the fans being involved in there too. So it was a tough process for him. He was around the players more. The team was off to that great start. You're thinking, okay, this team has a, a chance. And, and when you get to the postseason, it's, you know, you look at the Atlanta Braves last year, nobody picked them to win the World Series. You know, you have other teams with winning records and, and incredible records, but they, you know, once the postseason starts, you just never know. And then now I think about this offseason – now the trial balloons have been thrown out about Otani. I, I think it's crazy. Just I think from a business standpoint, the amount of money he brings in from Japan and the sponsorship, I think it's insane to even think about trading him. But now that the trial balloons have been thrown out there before the deadline, do you think it's going to be a wild offseason for the Angels? Well, I mean, definitely not involved in Shohei Otani. That's for sure. He's going to be a big part of this team going next year. And I think you're going to see them doing some things, maybe even more so than we've seen in the past, where they're going to try to do whatever it takes to get this team at a competitive team and win in, uh, you know, into the postseason. You know, the last two drafts, been really good they you know, two years ago all all pitchers and, and a number of those pitchers we already saw one you guys saw them up here already with Silseth there's a, there's some great arms there and then this draft it has had there's some upside on a lot of players so I think the foundation especially in the lower levels of the minor leagues is finally where it was when you mentioned the you know the Joe Madison and Mike Sosha's time and that means you know to be competitive you're gonna have to maybe you know you got to go free agent route and that's what i think you're gonna do more so than any other trades and things like that you know when i heard about trout's back i mean i mean trout's killed us obviously and, and we know what a special player he is he's 
you know, trending to be an all-time great. If it, if it ended right now, he's a Hall of Famer, but an all-time great. You played with an all-time great in George Brett, and one of the reasons why George was an all-time great is because he lasted a long time. Even in those the last years of playing first base or DH, he had the big knee brace on. When he got number 3,000, was at the Big A where he yep. grew up in Orange County, but he always still played. Are you worried about this back? Are you worried about the, the issue potentially long-term for Trout? Well, first going back to George, he won batting titles in three different yeah, decades, which is, yeah. is, which is incredible when you th- when think about that. And nobody had ever done that before. And then you look at Mike Trout, where he was trending. And remember when he first came up, we were talking about Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Willie Mays, Ricky Henderson, all those comparisons. And then, you know, it just kept that, that course going forward. You know, last year was out for that long period of time. For what, May 17th, the rest of the season when his calf injury this thing now with a back slash rib cage area uh i you know just talking to him when all that came out he he was like he was shocked at all you know everyone's just worried that his career was going to be on the decline he's he's almost getting close to playing again real soon so i'm not overly concerned with that just keeping him on the field this this so we can go back and then we can have these conversations down the road chris and say wow we got to watch one of the all-time great players yes he's on that you know path right now already for the hall of fame but I like when you get to the point where you, when you talk about longevity and go, wow, this, this player was one of the most incredible we've ever seen. Yeah, you never want to be robbed of greatness because this is our time covering it, and he's, he's done more against us than basically anybody else, so we have seen it firsthand. And knowing that, you know, got to see Barry Bonds turn into Super Barry in San Francisco, a lot of people have thoughts about that, but we saw it, and he did it. I mean, to watch people do stuff that's once in a lifetime. He's kind of a once in a lifetime player. I don't want to be robbed of seeing that he's too good. Yeah, I mean, and he's still. I mean, he was running very well. Too. I mean, even though he only had one stolen base, one stolen base attempt, he was playing his best center field. When you look at defensive metrics, he's had you know in the last five years. So everything was trending in the right direction. Yeah, he had that one of those couple odd stretches where he was like 0 for 26 this season, which was really odd for him. But uh, you, you rebounded and had a, a series up in, in Seattle where he hit five home runs, four game-winning home runs, which nobody had ever done in the history of the game. By the way, how many times we say that during the course of the season? The first time in the history of the game, first time in the history of the game. So many things have happened. But you, you, you just feel that Trout is going to be in that. Anytime somebody says he can't, he can't do anything, whether somebody said he couldn't hit a high fastball and then all of a sudden he's crushing out of the ballpark, or his defense and center fielder is going down and he turns around and does these things. So I think he's going to be more motivated coming back, which will be real soon, to put up those numbers and hopefully trend that way for the next six, seven years. Speaking of numbers in our division, I just every single time Verlander takes the mound, it's just like, wow. I mean, 39 years old, he's back to hitting 99, 97. He's having one of the best years, average velocity going back to his heyday in Detroit whether pitching against you guys or us or you get to see it the highlights when you hear and you see the numbers at 39 years old what do you think there, there's two pitchers that I stop and watch and hope that they stay healthy and continue doing it would be Verlander and Clayton Kershaw the two guys that I just love they're warriors but Verlander is you know I, I'm marveled at him because he's got a lot of mileage on his arm I mean he's got a lot of strikeouts a lot of innings MVP, Cy Young's very, very competitive. And to see him, you know, be shut down for almost two years and then do what he's doing this season. I went up to him the other day. We were in Houston. And last time in, I just went over and, you know, because I know Ben Verlander. We were always joking yeah. around about Shohei Otani. So I went up there and said, uh, 
you know, Justin, I just want to say um, you're my favorite pitcher. And he just started laughing. He goes, oh, you were a pretty good pitcher. So, no, 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 no. <laughs> so you're the man. You're the man. I just wanted to shake your head. I didn't, I wasn't looking for anything back from what you would say about me. I was like, wow, I just love watching you. You, were, you, see you, how you were pretty good, by the way. No, but You, you know, were pretty was, good. Uh, he was, he's incredible what he's doing. I mean, I think because of what he's doing, I still think they're the favorite in the game to win it all because of him. I mean, their team is really deep, the Astros, and they made some pretty decent moves at the deadline. The Yankees have been great, and the Dodgers have been incredible. And the Mets now with the ground throwing 102 miles an hour himself. But Verlander, I think, is a huge difference maker. And when you get in those series, whether it's a three-game beginning or a five-game series, and you get work your way to seven games and in World Series, he's a huge difference maker. How about this? If the Yankees lose again... And they lose tonight. It's Seattle, right? They're up in Seattle. Yeah, they're in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. They lose again tonight. They'll be tied with the Astros for the best record in the American League. They were blowing it out. They yeah. were on pace to win 118 games. They've come back, and as you said, the Astros. You, you, you try to explain to people the Astros can beat you any which way. Those international signings have been so key for them. They've done well in the draft. I don't want to hear about the tank anymore. They're not built on the tank anymore. Mm-hmm. Just talk about when you look at the Astros, just a complete team, and they're the type of fighter that can beat you in any type of fight. I mean, Kyle Tucker is one of the best players in the game, and nobody really talks a lot about it. He's a fantastic outfitter, great arm, runs well, good power, hits for an average. They're doing a lot of this without Michael Brantley. He's not even in yeah. there. I mean, Altuve's doing, still doing his thing. I mean, there's so many good pieces for them. Pena, I mean, they got so many good players on the team. Christian Vasquez, I thought, was a great pickup by them. You know, Martin Maldonado, yes, he's a great defender, but there's some outs in his bat. You know, Christian can hit the ball pretty well. So they got some depth now in their, in their catching position. Goriel's a doubles machine. Everybody they put out there, and I haven't even got to Alvarez yet, who's one of the great hitters. I always joke around when I see him, I go, with his number 44, I think of the size and the power, and, the, and, and you can see the intimidation factor. If you're an infielder, it's almost like Willie McCovey. Yeah. Like stretch. Yeah. So he, I mean, it was any ball you hit as an infielder or even an outfielder, you're going, oh, please don't go my way. Because <laughs> I'm not catching this and thing. And they're it's, all uh, young. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you think you lose Carlos Correa, you lose George, George Springer, you think, okay, everyone in, in our division here thinks, okay, their window's closing. But it continues to open up. Dusty Baker deserves a lot of credit because he weathered all that storm and all the stuff coming out with all the, you know, the scandal and everything else. So they're they're a good team. And, you know, as much as we all thought we would be knocking on the door with them, and, and the Angels were earlier in the season yeah. when they won two or three down in Houston and were in first place, but they have that sustainability because they have depth throughout their entire system. All right, we were talking about you the other day. So when I'm not doing this, I'll be hosting the A's pre and post on NBC Sports California, and I was doing it with Dave Stewart, yeah, the Stu. great Dave Stewart, the A's Hall of Famer. And I was telling Stu, because we were talking about a certain pitcher, who doesn't go deep in games, but has had some post-game press conferences where he's kind of like the man, but he doesn't go deep in games. Obviously, it annoys Stu. So I said, <laughs> I won't want everyone to annoy Stu, by the way. <laughs> so I said, hey, listen, Gooby's told me that back in the day with the Kansas City Royals, if you went out there and threw like five innings and you were strutting around, George Brett, Hal McCray, those guys would have roasted you for not going deep in games. Definitely. And then you could throw Lee May in there. And Lee May was a gigantic human being, too. They would, you know, I told you that story. They called me Cabana Boy from back in that <laughs> Flamingo kid when I looked like Matt Dillon. He goes, hey, Cabana Boy, get over here. If you're not going seven or eight innings, don't even walk in here. Just go run and hide in your locker. You better be out there because we were playing every day. You go out there every five days. You owe it to us. 
and the team and the fans and organizations to be out there at least seven, eight innings, at the very least of that, that amount every time out. That, and we and Stu and I were talking about it, and it's all about, you know, whether you look at the A's teams and really that era, that was especially the Royals, the battles against the Yankees in the 70s that led into the 80s. That was a really old-school, hard-knocks, throwing fists kind of tough team. They were not afraid. I mean, George Brett in an ALCS was throwing fists at Greg Nettles at third base. And they're best friends, too, by the way. And they were best <laughs> friends, yeah. I know I can't say the, the language he said to us when, you know, Saber Hagen, myself, Danny Jackson all made the team in 1984. He basically I don't care if we lose every game as long as we beat the Yankees all the way through. I, I can't bleep that many times, but there was a, a number of bleeps in there. Every game, because there was the hatred for the Royals and the Yankees at that point. And then, you know, then we started having battles with the A's, in, you know, in, in the late 80s and stuff. And that was fun. And you mentioned Stu. I love going up against him because I knew I had to throw nine. I had a 10-inning game here one time. I lost on a fly ball to right field. I think uh, Danny Tartable lost it in the sun later in the day here in a day game. That sun goes right in your eye. I knew I had to go nine innings just, most times just to get a no decision when Stu was on the bump. So uh, he was a great competitor. I love that to watch that because you try to emulate that as a player yourself, as a pitcher especially. Well, I just love those stories because it just shows you the toughness. And that's one of the reasons why you guys won so much. It just wasn't the talent. It was that mentality, that toughness. I'm watching uh, the Derek Jeter that we're seeing and Don Mattingly talking about 1995 where he knew it was last year and he was like preaching to these guys, we have to win every day. Yep. There is no – losing's not an option. We have to win. And they did. There's just something about that mentality that sometimes teams lose. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you always hear the adage, you're going to win 60, you're going to lose 60. It's what you do in those other 42 games. And I'm like, I'm not satisfied thinking I have to. we have to lose 60 games. I, I, every day we came to the ballpark, we expected to win. Did we win every day? No. But you never went in there thinking, okay, you know what, just try to win a series, two games, you know, two games and one. No. You're winning all three or a four-game series. You want to win every inning and every game, every time you go out there because, you know, that's what you – where I grew up in Philly, that's what we always did, playing stickball and stuff. I tried to win everything. And, and when I hear George Brett and Hal McRae, some of the fiercest competitors I've ever been around, and don't get me going when, you know, <laughs> when you bring Bo in that equation oh, too. Oh, so, Bo Jackson. So you get these guys that every one of them literally want to win and, and want to beat you bad every game, every game, every game. So if you didn't see Flamingo Kid – Go watch it. It's a classic movie. And, and, and we'll just sit on this, and we always appreciate your time. The fact that they called you Cabana yeah. Boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was like forever, too. And you're from Philly. Yeah. <laughs> right next to New Jersey. Yeah, so, I mean, it was so funny. It was so great how they got that. But, it, like, he made his point, and they didn't laugh. They weren't laughing either. They said, if you're not going seven or eight innings, go right to your locker and look right into your locker and don't look back at us. I'm like, okay. I said, then I'm thinking, you know what? I'd rather take on Dick Hauser than you guys. So if he ever comes out to the mound, I'm going to make sure I'm going to voice my displeasure for that. Well, it's always an honor to have you on this program. Over the years, you've been so good to us, and we always tune in. Your guys' broadcast is second to none. We're always watching. So thank you for the it's time. Always, and I always appreciate it. You know, even though both these teams are struggling, it's always fun when these two teams get together. It's always a close game. It's always two or one run you know, victory one way or the other way. It's always a battle. There's a, there's only one way to go. 
<laughs> right? It's like, what that way is to so go true. It's like going to Vegas. Okay, I'm going to play the red or, or, or the black on the roulette. One of them is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good call tonight. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it, my friend. Love me some Gooby, one of the good guys in our game. How about a guy that does nothing but break stories? Here's Robert Murray from Fansided. Is Robert here? Robert was breaking news today. Robert, how are you? Welcome back to Ace Cast Live. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Been a very busy day, even though the trade deadline is two weeks over from now. Wow. So, Congra- Congratulations on breaking the Walker Bueller news. I appreciate that big time. That's a huge blow for the Dodgers, although not totally unexpected, but still a massive blow for them. Now, is this going to be his second Tommy John surgery? So they don't know exactly what this surgery is going to be. Uh, they're entering it basically blind right now. Is they Neil Elitrash, the doctor who's performing the surgery, recommended that he undergo a procedure just to like see what exactly the issue is. Uh, so the Dodgers, they're being pretty vague on what the injury is and also the timetable. Uh, so they should know more once this is over. But this is obviously not the kind of development that they wanted here. No, and they're just coming off winning 12 straight. I know they lost yesterday in Kansas City, uh, but they've been rolling. They've been just beating people up, and they've been doing it without Bueller and Kershaw. But once you get to the postseason, how much does this change the Dodgers not having this guy who has been their lead guy? Yeah, it changes everything. And he's the kind of guy who can go toe-to-toe with the best pitchers in the league. And the fact they don't have him, Um, that is going to create some different matchup problems for Dave Roberts. I mean, he's got experience doing it in the past, of course. So like, he's not a first time guy going into this, uh, but not having Walker Bueller, um, it makes the rotation vulnerable and it puts a lot more pressure on that offense that they've spent so much money on, uh, in the years past. And even this year, uh, to perform same with the bullpen too, and their other starters to step up as well. Yeah. When we have injuries now, or even like at the beginning of August, it, it was panic, but we had the waiver wire process. There was still an opportunity, right, that you might be able to find somebody. You know, most players at one point in their career would have been put on waivers. Now that that's gone, great for the fans' trading deadline. What does that do for these front offices to where they don't have that safety net? Yeah, it, it makes it a lot more difficult for them, and it places pressure on them like before the trade deadline to make those kind of moves. And we got to see some movement after the trade deadline with a bunch of these veteran players get designated for assignment. Some teams claimed uh, claimed them off waivers. Like Fran Mel Reyes was one of them who uh, did not last long in the waiver wire. Like That was somebody that the Cubs ended up pouncing on um, pretty quickly. And then all like specifically for the Dodgers in this case, like they're more well equipped to handle this because they have Dustin May returning from the injured list, and they're going to be careful not to overwork him. Um, now he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. They're also going to have Danny Duffy come back. He's only going to pitch out of the bullpen, but still, that provides another arm. But uh, to answer your question about the waiver wire, yeah, it, it makes things a lot more challenging for these front offices, um, and it places pressure on them to like, add depth whenever they have the uh, opportunity to do so. I guess you would say the Mets are the biggest challenge, but maybe you see somebody else in the National League. Who do you think is the biggest challenge to the Dodgers? Yeah, the Mets are clearly the team that stands out. And I'll give you two of them, actually. Um, I'll give you the Atlanta Braves because they were there last year and they advanced um, to the postseason or they advanced and won the World Series. And they have a team that is really, really, really good. Their pitching staff, they just optioned Ian Anderson, who is their most vulnerable starter and the rest of the rotation is is phenomenal 
Uh, their offense led by Austin Riley and Matt Olson has been great. Uh, Michael Harrison, they he's just been a, a great addition ever since they called him up from double A. Um, and then I'll also give you the St. Louis Cardinals too. They are a team that year in and year out, I don't know what it is, but they just seem to always compete. And this year they they're, Biggest need was rotation, and they ended up getting Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery, even though everybody was clamoring for them to get Juan Soto. Um, and they've surged out of the trade deadline and look like the team to beat in the Central. So I'll give you those two teams. This is the biggest competition for the Dodgers. You know, well, you know, kind of, the, kind of the big hot stories we got, not only the playoff schedule coming out, and, you know, we've got the whole the brackets and everything, how it looks, and it's a lot of fun to look at. Uh, it's yeah. all obviously Otani versus Judge, American League MVP, but it's also Tatis. And we talked to a show host down in San Diego. They're devastated. And there's, you know, whether you're talking about the shoulder problems that he's had, the wrist problems, now steroids, it's like you throw all that immaturity and everything that's going on, you know, falling off the motorcycles at more than once. You're still talking 14 years and $340 million, one of the biggest contracts in the history of professional sports. What a gamble. To me, the immaturity, the issues, the steroids, my God, just just talk about the whole situation with the Padres and this huge contract that they have hanging around their neck. No, you're you're spot on with that. And it's something that the Padres need to solve quickly. Um, and A.J. Preller has even gone on the record, and he made some very strong comments, which we have not heard from Preller since he went to San Diego. Like, that was the most stern he's ever been uh, in a press conference. And he's got every right to be upset with this. Like, Fernando Tatis, he committed $340 million to this player who hadn't even played a full season in the majors. And mm-hmm. – He's suffered all these injuries, and now he's suspended for 80 games when they were just on the brink of getting him back. And, like, this entire situation, like, his dad ended up going on the record and said this was because of a haircut. Um, And it was, like, I'll tell you, like, there's people who don't believe that the ringworm story is legit. Like, it it actually is real. Um, From the reporting that I've done, I've confirmed it. Um, And he ended up taking a substance that contained um, this banned substance, and it resulted in the suspension. But it was on him to to confirm that it like it was within protocol and he didn't do that and that's ultimately on him and i wonder now like this is just me completely speculating um but i wonder now that he's got all this time to recover uh away from baseball i wonder if he undergoes that surgery on his shoulder to repair it um because there was a lot of people who ultimately believed that he was going to need it at some point Uh, now he's got the time to do it it would make sense to me i haven't heard but um, but first he really needs, he needs to like look in the mirror and reflect and grow from this because if not, then this could look like a $340 million mistake for the Padres. So let's get back to the ringworm because there's multiple ways to cure ringworm. And mm-hmm. this is a PED that's linked to other PEDs. So I'm, I, I, it's like, if I just took this just cause the ringworm and I had a legit, doctor i every i would fight this till the cows come home because even though the big money kicks in later he's still gonna lose a couple million i think it's like three million bucks or whatever wouldn't there be a much bigger fight if this was really just about curing ringworm from a haircut yeah i mean to me there would be and i believe at first he actually did appeal this thing but ultimately he ended up just accepting the suspension 
And I'm, yeah, you're right. I'm curious why there hasn't been more of a fight from Tatis in his camp, but um, ultimately they, they decided not to do it. They accepted the punishment and, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you like the Padres, they're equipped to w- overcome this thing here, but not having Tatis back, that is such a huge blow. Um, and it places a lot more on the shoulders of Juan Soto, that pitching staff. And when he eventually returns, or even before he returns, he's got to answer a lot of questions because players in that clubhouse, specifically Mike Clevenger and some others, they were like, this is the second time he's disappointed us. And now he needs to like, he needs to own up to it. So I'm curious to see how he responds to that too. Yeah, I'm almost, I know this would be a whole brouhaha with the players union, but like for the Padres right now, you know they would love to take that $340 million, take it back, give it to Juan Soto, and add some money to it so they could sign Juan Soto. I just, to make these huge commitments that we're seeing, I mean, right now, Mike Trout, bad back, we don't know. You know, Anthony Rendon, out for the year. It's been a dumpster fire. Just, but, but. A way for you to get out of these contracts from a PED standpoint, I don't think they'll ever do it, but I know that from a business, it'd be like, okay, if you get popped for PEDs once or twice, I got to be able to get out of this deal. Because no matter what, he they're still going to owe him over $300 million, and it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, and you're right. It's I would be floored, and I mean floored, if they ended up rescinding this contract or voiding it, because that would just be a legal nightmare. Yeah. But – the fact that this has happened and the shoulder injury and the motorcycle stuff has happened. Um, yeah. I, I mean, if the like, I still think the Padres would do this deal just because Tatis is a, he's a generational talent. And if you end up looking at what he did when he was healthy, that's what they picture him doing for the next 10 plus years. So yeah, I still think they would do this thing. Uh, even though there's been like this much gone wrong so quickly. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you, like, that's, this is another reason why, I mean, not maybe not like a perfect example, but the other guys you mentioned before, like Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, even Albert Pujols before that, yeah. why we don't see these 10 plus year contracts is they rarely work out. Um, Tatis's was different just because he was, what, 21 or 22 when he signed it. So he was going to be done or was going to be done when he was in his age 36 season. But yeah, I'll tell you, those are becoming a rarity. And I think Soto's is going to be the next. But after that. I don't know how many of those we're going to see. The press conferences look great, right? The unity and the GM and the managing general partner and everything looks great. And we're going to have this guy forever. <laughs> it's just like they yeah. just they just don't work out. Or if you're Mike Hampton with the Rockies, if you remember, he just liked the school districts. It wasn't about the money or the years. It was about the school districts. Uh, I, I want you to weigh in. Everybody's weighing in on it because – X amount of games to go. People want to talk AL MVP, Judge, Otani. Where would you go? This Apparently, this is a hot take because a lot of people are going with Aaron Judge. But I'm going with Shohei Otani with this. And this is not to discredit what Aaron Judge has done this season because he's been brilliant. Uh, what Judge has done this year has been, I mean, 46 home runs, 100 RBI already. This, like, this early into the season is extremely impressive but if you look at Shohei Otani like yeah he's got what 26 homers this year his his numbers are slightly down offensively from what they were last year but his his pitching numbers have been extremely good um like to the point where they're like ace level and we're looking at a player who's basically like a Max Scherzer 
and Matt Olson type combined. And yeah, the the Angels aren't doing that well this season, but I still think that Otani deserves the MVP this year. And I was running this exact scenario by somebody even the other day, and he was like, if Shohei Otani does not win the MVP, it is the biggest like baffling decision or the most baffling decision in baseball history. Um, Maybe like a bit of a strong comment, but like that's what he said, and he's a very trusted baseball executive. So like, I mean, I, I listen whenever he says something, but even though he said it, like even with him saying that, I have to agree. I would go with Shohei Otani, and that's not a slight at Aaron Judge, just how good Shohei Otani is. I, I it's it's a fascinating debate because I I can see it. You know, a good debate is when you can see both sides. To yep. me, it's not one sided because. I could see the judge crowd goes, wait a minute, this guy hasn't been pitching every five days, and he's a DH. My guy's out there playing center field. He's playing right field. He's playing defense. He's hitting all these home runs. He's driving in runs. He's got walk-off hits, walk-off wins. He's been a monster. So, I mean, it's a really, you know, when people are going to have to put their name on it and they're going to have to vote because, I mean, no disrespect, Jordan Alvarez is fantastic. He beats the hell out of the A's. We see it. Uh, and Jose Ramirez continues to be a terrific player. But, obviously, this will come down to Judge and Otani. And you can make a case for both guys, and really both cases are good. Yeah, both cases are extremely strong. And I'm kind of hoping that I don't have to be part of that voting for the MVP just because, like, I mean, it's going to end up being whoever votes for whoever is going to get ridiculed one way or another. Um, but I mean, it, no matter who gets it, like, as you said, you can see both sides of this argument and like, there, I don't think there's a wrong decision here. Um, but I'll tell you, baseball's in really good hands at the same time. We got Otani who's just getting started, Aaron judge, who's 30 years old and still has a lot more left. And we have all these other players too. Like it speaks to the overall talent we have in baseball. And we've like seen it reflect in the numbers, like throughout the, uh, like the broadcast and everything, like numbers are skyrocketing right now, which is like. It's a great thing, and it's because of this talent and uh, because of these debates and the ones we're having right now, too. Well, you know, when you guys vote, they put you in different categories. So you're saying you'd rather have, like, rookie of the year versus MVP? Okay, I'd rather have MVP. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got me there. That, that's well done. Like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> ah, Cy Young Award winner. Here we go. No, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it's been a lot of fun to talk about. Um Something that has now gotten interesting. I mean, normally, let me tell you, getting ready for this, uh, the Texas Rangers are 23 games out of first place while our beloved A's are 33 and a half games out of first place. So when you say A's, Rangers, four games set in Arlington, most people aren't running to uh, their television sets. But uh, Chris Woodward fired today. You know, we've talked a lot to the Ranger people. You know, you, you look at the money that uh, Seeger got. You look at the money Simeon got, and they said, hey, listen, this is all part of the plan. John Daniels, Chris Young, that they understand they're not going to win now. They're going to spend more money on pitching in the offseason. They got money with the new ballpark. They're going to be ready to spend. We heard all this kind of stuff, and then, bang, they fired Woodward, who got an extension for next year and an option for the next. And I say, okay, you fire this guy. Then you realize four managers have been fired in season. That's 14% of the managers in Major League Baseball have been fired. And you know more will get fired at the end of the year. What does that tell you? 
that there's a lot of pressure on these managers to perform and win now. And like we got to see it earlier in the year. Joe Girardi, I believe, was the first one with Philadelphia. And they've come out of the gates just flying after that. Like Rob Thompson is like seriously in consideration to get that job full time. The Angels have been basically the exact opposite of that um, after firing Joe Madden. I will say, though, like the fact that Chris Woodward got this extension that you just mentioned, um, it it really surprises me that he got fired. And when the report surfaced earlier today that he was fired, I'm like, I stopped in my tracks. I was in the middle of a workout, actually. And I was just like, hmm, like, why, why would they do this? And like, even entering this year after signing, like the for $500 million, they ended up getting Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. They knew this year they weren't going to be in a position where they were going to be able to like compete with the upper class in, in the American League. This was going to end up being a multi-year thing. And Woodward was a the guy they identified as a person to do that. And ultimately, they ended up having a, a change of heart like throughout the year with some of the decisions he was making and like some of the, or the direction of the franchise that he wasn't going to be the guy. And I, I think this, what this does, like, obviously, as you said, this is a fourth manager that's fired now, but it places a lot of pressure on this Texas Rangers front office led by John Daniels and Chris Young to get this next hire right because they've invested a lot in this roster, hasn't performed to, to date so far. Um, and if they don't get this next hire right, then they could be on the jobs or on the, on the market looking for jobs as well. Yeah, they love throwing this stat out there, the 6-24 and 24 in one-run game. So, obviously, there was something to that. Uh, before we let you go, you do a great job breaking stories. And a lot of fans always wonder, like, how do these guys do it? How do these guys know? So, before you hit tweet, before what do you have to have? How many sources? How many people have to verify? Just take our fans through it when you have something like a Walker Bueller. This is a breaking story. This means a ton in our sport. How do you go through that process? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's something that it varies by the story is oh, at the end of the day, you ultimately want to have or you need to have in order to report something, somebody directly involved. And if you don't have that, then for me, I don't tweet it because I'm a huge believer that you need to be 100% confident when you report something. And like, there's people like in this case, or I'll even take you back to the trade deadline. There was a couple of cases where I ended up getting the Russell Iglesias trade and also the Harrison Bader one. And I had heard those secondhand and you end up getting, you text people who are directly involved and they could be like, yeah, or they could be like, no. And in that case, both of them were ended up right. I got them confirmed right off the bat and then was able to send them. Um, but reporting the stories thing, it's not as easy as people think it is just because you, people think it's like a, a, you wait for somebody to text you. But in reality, it's a year round conversation that you have with sources that ultimately leads you to get that kind of information at the deadline or even in the off season too. Um, I'm learning on the fly here. I'm still only 26. This is actually my 10 year anniversary of being in baseball today. So I appreciate you guys. having. You got in at 16 and at 16, I created a random Twitter account talking baseball. And, and now here I am at 26. Did you have a driver's license yet before you created that? I actually did not. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, by the way, your girl, Jessica Kleinschmidt over there, she was, uh, she was one of my biggest supporters. So I appreciate Jess big time. She's the best. No, she's fantastic. We're lucky to have her. Hey, you're a great follow. You're a great interview. Fansided.com. Always appreciate the time. Be well. And let's talk soon. 
Let's do it. I appreciate you guys having me. Have an awesome day. Great stuff. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. He's a good guest. We love having him. And speaking of good guests, nobody better than Sarah Langs. Follow her on Twitter. She's got so many great nuggets. Read her stories on MLB.com, and you see her on MLB Network. Here is our good friend, Sarah Langs. This is for Sarah Langs when she comes on. The A's rank last in the majors in batting average at 215 and on base percentage at 277. The only teams in American League history. Now think about that. American League history is a long time. To bat under 217 in a season are the 1910 White Sox at 211 and the 1968 Yankees at 214. Lowest on-base percentage in AL history is 274. You know this team, right? 1968. Wait, read it again. The lowest on-base percentage. How do you not know? This is like the easiest question in the world. Who's got the lowest on-base percentage in American League history at 274? This is, I mean, this is probably standard, easy, trivial pursuit baseball question. I feel like you're going in a facetious direction here, so I'm going to say Cleveland Spiders. The 1905 Washington Senators. (laughs) Sarah Langs from MLB.com joins us here on A's Cast Live. How are you? We have missed you. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And, oh, my gosh, I don't do negative stats, but those did not sound great at all. I just, Not at all. I mean, it's just – it just to me, it just takes too much time to find that kind of stuff. Like, if I'm searching and I'm finding the 1905 Washington Senators, there's got to be something better I can do with my life. Probably, probably. But, you know, we always try to look on the bright side, so – Hopefully there is a bright side somewhere with that. And, hey, they might finish the season batting a lot higher than 217. So you just have to hope for that. Well, the two hottest stories in baseball are Fernando Tatis Jr. And your medical knowledge is about viruses because your mom's a virologist, so we're not going to go there. Uh, So we'll stay on the side of the second biggest story Really is American League MVP, and it's starting. We're starting to get articles. You're involved in it now as we're looking at, okay, here you got a guy playing in New York for the Yankees. I want to say, because I looked it up today, it's 54 games in center, 49 games in right, uh, like 17 or 18 at DH. He's a monster. The What, what was it? He's got what? 100 RBIs, 46 jacks, 96 runs scored, over 1,000 OPS. Judge is a monster, and he's playing every day. And then you got the guy out west playing for a terrible team in the Angels and Otani, who, when he pitches, really darn good. 
and he's a DH, and he's really darn good. But he doesn't play every well defensively. So it's like you start looking at MVP, and Otani won it easily last year, so why not this year? Where are you weighing in on this judge versus Otani? No offense to Jordan Alvarez or Jose Ramirez. They're having great years, but these two guys are the front runners. For sure, they are. You know, to me, I think it is judge right now. And partially because he's going to set an American League record for home runs. Of course, the Yankee record is the American League record. And I think if we look back in history, like 10, 15 years from now, and he did something historic like that, and he didn't win MVP, we'll probably think that looks a little bit silly. For me, it has nothing to do with the team, nothing to do with the fact that the Yankees are that much better than the Angels. Otani is incredible. We almost need a different award for him. But I think given that he has such strong competition this year, it's probably Judge. But we're going to be having this conversation every year that Otani continues to do this. Now, do you want to know who's going to disagree with you? Who? The rally monkey, the angels. We got an actual rally. Have you ever seen an actual rally monkey? I have not. I have not. I love it. Look at you. Yeah. Well, well, well we're playing the Rangers, so we got Nolan Ryan yeah. here. So we got a Nolan bobblehead here. We honor the people in our own division. We've got the uh, we got the Snow Globe Safeco Field. It's now T-Mobile Park. And the, oh my and the roof goes back. Yeah, we honor the people in our division. We love the people in our division. But this Gotta is this is the this is a rally monkey right here. Uh, I, you know, everybody's been beating me over the head all these years about war and how important war is because it includes everything. Well, if everybody's been telling me for all these years how important war is, and judges war is better than Otani's, and you're counting Otani as a pitcher and a hitter. That tells you how good Judge is. And I just wonder, since, you know, Otani has not gone every five days as a pitcher, and he's just a DH, how much of Judge playing in the field, and like I said, 50, I think it is 54 games in center field, how much does that play into him having a better war? I mean, it certainly helps him. You know, he has a certain amount of defensive war. But I also think that's where kind of the intangibles play in. The time he spent in center field is probably the most valuable thing he's done for the Yankees all year. I know he's hitting all of these home runs, but they have a lot of guys who can hit. But they were really at a loss for a good center fielder for a good portion of the year. And the fact that he was able to move over there, have Giancarlo Stanton playing right when he was healthy, and just for them to have that alignment was really, really helpful to how the team was functioning. So I think even if his defense of war isn't a significant numerical factor, I think that guessed one of the intangibles about what has made him such a valuable player this year. Yeah, it's crazy when like the A's are playing the Yankees and he's out in center field. It's like it's like watching an NBA power forward play center field. You're like, I just can't believe a guy that big is playing center field. It's crazy. I, I do agree and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on the 
oh, one guy plays on a better team. I'm not worried. I mean, just when you look at the volume of what Judge gives you, I'm not so – if Otani goes out and he gives me six innings and he strikes out a time, it's like, okay, he gave me six innings. I now got to get these other innings. Or he goes five or six. I'm just – I'm not impressed by pitchers who only give me five or six. I just It just doesn't do much for me. Uh, the, the, what Judge is doing is incredible. He's, he's a one-man wrecking crew, and he does it every day, and he's doing it in the field. I believe it plays a lot. And I am so rooting for him to break Roger Maris's record, and it has nothing to do with anything that um, you would think about. It actually is a personal thing for me. Is Giant fans – and we'll count your mother. Giants fans have never had to come to grips truly with the cheating bonds in 73. They've glossed over it for so many years. And you being in New York and you being also someone who works on MLB Network, I think you're going to agree with me on this. When Aaron Judge hit 62, everybody in New York's going to go, that's the true record. Barry Bonds was on steroids. Barry Bonds should have the asterisks. And I believe the New York media is going to run over the soft San Francisco giant media. They won't be able to handle it. They're going to try and defend Barry, but it's going to look ugly because you're defending PEDs, essentially. I think for the first time, giant fans are going to have giants media, which basically they all are giants fans. We know who they are. Uh, They're going to have to defend this, and it's not going to look good. And I can't wait to see it. I'm actually rooting for Aaron Judge. Well, we'll see. I mean, what I will say is, you know, I go with the numbers. So when I go to baseball reference, we have Sammy Sosa. We have Mark McGuire. We have Barry Bonds. They're listed right there. So, you know, I mean, these numbers exist regardless of what may have happened and route to them. But I do think there may be a narrative there. But even regardless, even not to, you know, uh, imply any fighting or anything like that, to break a record that has stood for so long in the American League. You were discussing the American League. Think of how many individual player seasons that is. And the fact that these are the New York Yankees, the most hallowed franchise in all of sports, I think that alone will be a really big deal. But, you know, he's on pace for 65 right now. I, I'm very excited to see where this goes. You know, when I when I think about the Yankees, and I made, you know, I never make crazy comments on this show. Everything is so calculated. I never get out over my skis here, Sarah. I did make a prediction back, was it June, Cody, that I made the prediction about the Yankees? Oh, yes, it was. I made a guarantee in June that the Yankees won't go to the World Series and won't win the World Series because when the A's were back there, everybody had already crowned them and wanted to make them champions. I go, they're too one-dimensional. And still to this day, like 52% of all their runs come from home runs. And they're, they, what was it? There's only They've only won three games. Now, when I had this stat, it was a, probably like a week ago, but they haven't been winning games. They've only won like three games this year where they didn't homer. So if they get into a postseason and they get into a series where they face anybody who's kind of hot, Man, I'm not I'm not I don't know how much stock I'm buying in the Yankees as a playoff team. Would you agree or disagree? I do think that we saw when they faced the Astros that they are not necessarily in the same class as the Astros. 
I think they were for a period of time this year. But I think early in the season, they were probably overperforming a little bit. And now I think they're probably underperforming. But I think that true answer in the middle is still not as good as Houston. And we'll see. I mean, who knows what a hot Mariners team could look like in October. You just never know. But I do think exactly. I mean, hot with the snow, maybe a cold team. Maybe that's a good thing for the snow globe. Who knows? But regardless, I do think that we've seen the issues with their pitching staff, especially over the last month to two months here. Their bullpen is in pretty dire straits right now with how Clay Holmes has been pitching, the injury to Michael King, all of that. So we'll see where they end up. I mean, I agree. It's certainly a one-dimensional offense. I think they have the ability to be better offensively, but I worry about that pitching overall. And again, when you're facing these really good pitchers in the playoffs, as you said, if you can hit those home runs, you could be in a really tough spot. Well, I'll tell you what, talking about pitching and breaking news, you know, watching what the Dodgers have done, winning 12 straight, obviously that ended yesterday in Kansas City. They're trying to tie the record for the L.A. Dodgers. It was like 62 and can't remember the other year, but that 13 straight was the record since they moved west in 1958. They fall one short. Uh, and there's been all this talk about, look how great the Dodgers have been without Walker Bueller, without Walker Bueller and without Clayton Kershaw. The breaking news that just came down right before you came on, we are commercial break. Walker Bueller is done for the season. He is going to have season-ending elbow surgery. They're not saying what kind. It's a flexor strain, so i got to think it's Tommy John, right? Not that kind of doctor. Not, not that really I got that you. Kind of but doctor. but but what you could talk about is 100%. no Bueller, knowing he's not coming back. Dodgers have been great without these guys, and they've been getting tremendous starting pitching. How much do you worry once you get into the playoffs and everybody's records are zero and zero, and you don't have Walker Bueller? You do wonder about it. I mean. They do still have Dustin May coming back. He threw an immaculate inning in his rehab start the other night. By all accounts, he's looked really good. But, I mean, I was talking about Bueller earlier today on a podcast and said, hey, getting him back will be such a big thing for this team. But then you look at that streak that you mentioned, not just 12 straight, but 12 straight all by multiple runs. That's a testament not just to the offense, but also to the pitching staff. So I think that they will be able to endure it. But you do start to wonder, I mean, the National League right now, top two teams, you have the Dodgers and the Mets. And maybe this puts, I mean, who's going to want to face Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer in a postseason series? So now it's an advantage going to the Mets maybe rotation-wise, even with the fact that DeGrom's health is kind of always hanging there as a question mark, I'm not sure. But if any team can rebound from news like this, it is the Dodgers. He hasn't pitched in two months, so, you know, they've been doing this without him anyway. You know, it's funny. I've just been watching the captain like all we've all been watching the documentary on, it's fantastic, on Derek Jeter. 
And I don't know if I'm on, on the fourth one where they went through the Subway Series and talking about how crazy the Subway Series was in 2000. It was a long time ago, but you, you think back to the Clemens and Piazza and what that time was like in New York City. You know, everybody had a dog in the fight, and it was the first time two New, two New York teams had hooked up in the World Series for a long time. Hey, you never know. I'm looking at the Mets now. They're still leading the uh, – and they got a big series starting tonight with the Atlanta Braves, but what's it like in New York City right now with the Yankees and the Mets? Well, there's certainly a lot of excitement. You know, the Yankees, despite having, you know, the second-best record in the American League, are the fans are not happy right now. They haven't been playing well overall, especially over this last month or so. So I would say the two fan bases are probably in slightly different spots, but it's really cool for the city when both of these teams are good. We saw it with the two-game series between them uh, at the end of July, the Subway Series. You know, the Mets swept, and Mets fans were going off about how big of a deal it was. It was a two-game series in July. You know, let's see what happens in October and November. But regardless, the energy of those games. I mean, I was just watching on TV doing my job and I could feel the energy through the TV. You know, there's so much excitement about these teams, about baseball in New York. And, you know, I love to see that. I love anything that gets people excited about baseball. Well, it's funny in the captain, when they're talking to Jeter about it, I, I, I would cut, if I did it, if I did a talk show in New York, and I was a Mets guy, I would be running this over and over because Jeter was hilarious. He was like, you know, I'm everybody's making a big deal about it, but to us, I mean, they're just the Mets. Like, it's the Mets. Like, who cares? It's the Mets. (laughs) And Jeter, at one point in the outtakes, they showed it, and he goes, man, I know people are going to come after me about this, but come on, it was just the Mets. It's just the Mets. Why The Yankees don't sweat the Mets, right? I don't think so. I mean – I think that's kind of the nature of it, right? The Mets are the newer team to New York. They're the younger team. They're the historically less successful team. You know, two World Series, two 27 World Series championships. But you never know, you know, what uh, what could happen if they do face off in the World Series. But there's definitely some of that sort of like little sibling mentality, something like that, where I think, the Mets fans tend to care more about the outcome against the Yankees and maybe vice versa. So I was watching when I got the report yesterday, Rasmussen, you know, has a perfect game going. So I turned it on my computers watching A's Astros. I was almost turning it on as much to know I can't wait for Tampa to pull them early so then I can rag on it the next day. And of course <laughs> they end up pulling him anyway, but he gives up the hit and the run. But it's the 10th year anniversary of King Felix throwing a perfect game. We haven't had a perfect game since. And the longest drought was Catfish Hunter with the A's when the A's moved west in 1968 to Lynn Barker in 1981. We got a major drought going. Perfect games. Kind of shocked by that with all the strikeouts that and, bat and weak contact and low batting average. Are you shocked that we haven't had a perfect game recently? It is surprising. You know, I think it's funny. I believe that two or three 
of the no-hitters last year when we had a handful of them were one play away from being a perfect game. John Means, there was the uh, drop third strike, and then uh, I believe there were two others where there was either one walk, one hit by pitch, something like that. I believe Rodon hit someone in the ninth, maybe, kind of like Scherzer did way back in uh, whatever that would have been, 15. But anyway, we've been so close to the idea of a perfect game. It almost feels random to me just because we have seen a proliferation of no-hitters. We had all of those no-hitters last year, a ton of bids this year. But, you know, I mean, it's a lot to go out there and, you know, strike out 10 guys and not walk anyone, something like that. We don't even see that many of those kinds of outings these days, let alone doing that and also not having anyone get a hit or anything else like that. But it is fascinating that in this era of so many no-hitters, we still haven't gotten to another perfecto. But I know that Mariners fans kind of take that as their badge of pride. I know there's some Mariners fans who celebrate when the perfect bids are over because they want Felix to still have the most recent one. So we'll see how much longer that keeps going for them. I really thought he was going to do it yesterday. I really, really did. Jorge Mateo, former A's prospect. He came over in the Sunny Gray trade, uh, broke it up, and later would score on a wild pitch. All right, let's end on this. I'm going to take – so now we're in a true playoff format, which I love. Uh, We came out with all the dates today. Uh, It could be be a cold World Series if we're playing in November. But I'm going to take out the number one and two seeds. You cannot pick them. So that's the Astros, Yankees, and and the American League. And that's the Dodgers and the Mets in the National League. Out of the rest of the guys that are remaining as of right now, that's Rays, Guardians, Mariners, Blue Jays, Phillies, Cardinals, Padres, Braves. If you could buy stock because you want to make a lot of money, it's not cheap to live in New York City in the box you live in there in Manhattan. Uh, If you had to pick one of those teams and you're going to buy stock in one of those teams, which one would it be? I think it has to be the Braves, partially because they did this last year. They had the lowest winning percentage entering the month of August for any eventual World Series champion. They were below 500 entering August. They went at the trade deadline, remade their outfield, made up for that Acuna injury. The bullpen got so good in the postseason. And why would Brian Snicker not be able to rally the troops that way again? They called up Michael Harris at the end of May, and then they went on that huge win streak. Now they called up Vaughn Grissom a couple of days ago. He's already hit two home runs. I saw a tweet like 20 minutes ago about him working out with Ron Washington on the field, the classic infield defense uh, you know, school with Ron Washington. If he is doing that, he knows what he's doing. So, I think if I'm taking a team outside those four, I would go with the Braves. But, again, I mean, are we really going to see, speaking of droughts, are we really going to see a back-to-back champ? I don't know. Been a long time since the Yankees went back-to-back. A very long time. The longest drought ever that we've ever had. And 
you know, that speaks to how difficult it is to get through this grind. And now, of course, with that extra round, the Braves, if they were to do that, assuming they don't overtake the Mets there, would have to get through a lot to do it. Well, it is great to see you. Thank you so much for the time. You be well. We'll be watching you. We'll be reading you. We'll be just following on Twitter. We'll just be following the multimedia career that is the great Sarah Langs. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. So great to see you guys. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Sarah Langs. Nobody better. Follow her on Twitter. What a good group this is. Mark Gubazaw, Robert Murray, and Sarah Langs. And we love having them on A's Cast Live, and we love you listening to A's Unfiltered. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.